That is so good, church. And uh, yeah, you can clap for that if you want to. That is one of our statements around here that we live life on mission, and it's something we want to celebrate, and so we love sharing those stories with you. Well, this week we're going to jump back into the gospel according to John, and so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 6, but a couple things to catch you up on in case you've been here the last several weeks, but we just wrapped up a series of messages called Welcome to Our Family, and, and that is a great opportunity for you to know more about our church, and so if you're new now or kind of been checking us out, you might want to watch that series of messages, the first two especially, to kind of give you an overview, and then from there we have what we now call our welcome track, where you can jump in and learn more about our church, serve, get in a group, get on a team, and then actually join our church. And so make sure you want to do that. But prior to being in that series of messages, we were in the gospel according, of John, uh, according to John. In fact, this is going to be the 24th message. So that means there's 23 messages there that we've done so far up to the very first part of John chapter 6. And so we got to do a little catch up, if you will, going back six weeks to remember. And I know we don't remember six weeks ago. We don't remember six days ago. We probably don't remember six minutes ago. All right. So let me just hit for you quickly. In John chapter 6 was one of the great miracles of Jesus when he fed the 5,000. When he literally, with a few fishes and a few loaves, broke them, distributed them, and the miracle of what we call multiplication. When he multiplied what they offered to him, and the amazing thing is that is the vision of our church, speaking of welcome to our family, that's what we want God to do. And there's a process of multiplication that God takes us through. And then we looked at not only that, but then their response to that. How did people respond and what they wanted from Jesus? And then how Jesus then sends his disciples onto the other, into the boat and back to the other side of the sea. So they're just kind of going back and forth. And going back over to the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, that is, they had a storm. And I told you that the storm was part of the story. And that we need to understand that in our lives that we will have storms. Storms are part of our story because it's in those storms when we see Jesus walking on top of them. When we see Jesus superintending all those things. And, and that's an important uh, fact for us to remember, especially in seasons of great grief like we have been in collectively for over a year and a half now. That God is superintending everything that happens to us. And so he's not an unloving God by letting storms come to us, but he's a loving God that he uses even those things that Satan intended to harm us for our good and his glory. And so that's the setup so far of John chapter 6, and we're going to be in verses 22 through 40 today, now seeing the response of the crowd to after that miracle happened, and now Jesus teaching them the true point of what that miracle is about. So pray with me as always, and then we'll jump into our text, John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. All right, let's pray. Father, as always, we want to stop and, and pause and uh, just recognize the fact that we are helpless, we are needy, and we need you to help us. And it is not a bad thing for us to recognize that, and it is surely not a bad thing for us to call on you. Because God, the amazing thing about the gospel, even as we're going to look at today, is when we get help, you get glory. God, it glorifies you for us to cry out to you. And so God, we want to do that now, recognizing our need. Me, myself, recognizing that I can't preach this without 
the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. So God, would you fill me in order to communicate your word that it, in a way that honors you and is helpful to us. And then help all of us, me included as well, to hear this word. Because uh, it's not my words, God, it is your word and there is truth in it. There was truth in it for the disciples then and there's truth in it for the disciples now, which would be us. So God, we ask you to help us and that this would honor you. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John chapter six is where we are. So I'm gonna read a couple verses, verses 22 through 25, to get the setup for the next part of the story, all right? So let me read it to you, then I'll explain kind of contextually what's going on. Verse 22, it says this, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, so this is the east side, if you're looking at a map, saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So remember, Jesus put his disciples into the boat and then sent them over to the other side. And then the gospel tells us, in fact, the gospel of Mark gives us some detail too, that he goes up into the mountain. But again, Jesus does things that's not always perceptible by people, like by walking on the water and different things. And so the crowd is unaware of where Jesus is. So he sent his disciples to the other side. They know that, that they went, but they're not sure where Jesus is. So look at verse 23. Other boats from Tiberias, that's on the west side, uh, the town there, came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, that's on the west side, seeking Jesus. Now, I've highlighted several parts of that, the one there at the end, the last two words, because it's crucial. They're seeking Jesus. They're seeking Jesus, but they can't find him. And that's an important part to this narrative, to this story of what is happening, because it is important to understand that these people, at least they're seeking Jesus. Again, there's even disciples a lot of times get such a bad rap and the people that saw Jesus to do all these things. And, and we would never say it's a bad thing to seek Jesus, would we? We would never say that seeking Jesus is bad. And so at least on some level, again, we're going to get into what that level is. They're at least seeking him. Now, Jesus being Jesus has ways. How many of you realize God's got ways? Not the app, all right? But he's got ways of doing things that sometimes will defy natural order. We call those miracles, like Jesus walking on the water. And so when I say that, you know, Jesus superintends things, what I, what I mean by that is everything that is happening, he's ultimately in control of, and he walks on top of it. And so he is not bound by the very laws of nature that he created. He can control them, and he does, which that's a setup for the next verse. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi. When did you come here? Now, again, that's just some setup, but I want us to think deeper about this, which is why I was highlighting that they were seeking Jesus. Now, they were diligent, weren't they? They paid attention to, I mean, John gives us details. They paid attention to the fact that Jesus put his disciples in the boat and that he wasn't in the boat. They paid attention to the fact that other people came in boats and Jesus wasn't in those boats. 
They paid attention to the fact of where Jesus was. They were aware, they were diligent, and they were seeking. What well, begs the question, how come they missed him? How could they miss him when they were seeking him? Now, there's multiple answers to that. It, it could be, right, that Jesus got to the other side by doing his deal, by walking on water, by floating over. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. All we know is that he sent his disciples onto the boat and they went to the other side. He went up and then at night he came to them. So maybe at night when he was walking on water, he just kept on walking to the other side. Maybe that's how he did it. He just got over there walking on water, you know, supernaturally. We don't know. But what we do know is they were seeking him, but they missed him. They were seeking him, but they missed him. And that's a point that I want to highlight. In fact, if you're taking notes or you want to think about a thought, I want to give this thought to you. Ironically, those seeking Jesus can also miss him the most. Those seeking Jesus, this is an irony, right? Are those who at the end of the day can actually miss him the most. It can be so close to him that they can't see him. And here's why I highlight this. The most dangerous thing, if you've been around here, I told you even last week that the most evil thing or the biggest threat to the world is those who are not subject to the authority of God. So the biggest threat to the world is not the Taliban, it's not COVID, it's people not living in submission to God. So that's the greatest threat. Well, the greatest temptation, watch this, is for me to hang around Jesus and call him teacher, but actually not listen to his teaching. Notice what I said. They called him rabbi. Now, rabbi means teacher. So they say to him, teacher, where did you come from? How did we miss you? We've been seeking you. But what's ironic, and I'm about to show you this, is Jesus is about to teach them and they're going to reject his teaching. But these are the people that were seeking him. These are the people that were in his orbit. These are the people that were hanging around. I mean, they were the flies to Jesus' honey, right? I mean, is it flies and honey? I don't know what it is, right? Bears, whatever it is. Well, flies are attracted to everything, right? They're the people that are in the orbit of Jesus. They're the people that are hanging around Jesus. They're the people that are seeking Jesus, and yet they are the most lost people. Let me, let me say it to you in our kind of common day. One of the biggest ways to miss out on Jesus is first to be an American. Well, yeah, I, I believe in the big, you believe in God? I believe in a big man upstairs. God bless America and God we trust. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Don't you see my American flag? Right? Like we collate those two concepts as, well, yeah, in, in America, everybody's Christians. Now let's go one step deeper. 
Not only are we American, we live in the dirty, dirty South, right? And in the South, we, we call this thing the Bible belt or the Bible buckle or the pant loop. I don't know what it is anymore. Well, there's a church on every corner. And, and if you say, am I a believer? Yeah, I've, I've been a Christian my whole life, which is impossible. That's a false statement. And you've been around Jesus. You've been around church. You're even a CEO, Christmas, Easter only, right? You attend church. And when the, we don't pass the plate anymore. I was about to say when the plate comes around, you even tip a little. Because after all, you don't want Jesus to strike you dead. So I'm going to give you a little tip, Jesus. You're around Jesus, seeking Jesus. But yet you and I are in the most danger of missing Jesus. Let me say it to you like this. You know, vaccines are a big topic right now. And vaccines, I know the COVID vaccine is different than other vaccines, but typically in a vaccine, they give you just a, a little bit of it to inoculate you from it. They give it to you in a, in a dead version, in a small version. Uh, I was just looking up a pneumonia vaccine earlier today, and they give you just a little bit of it so that your body can respond to it and build antibodies to it. A lot of us have been vaccinated against Jesus. We've gotten a little bit of Jesus, and we've built up antibodies to him. We call him teacher, but yet we don't obey his teachings. So we, a lot of times, are in the most danger. They were seeking Jesus, and they missed him. Where'd you come from? Jesus, how did I miss you? And here's one of the reasons why. As I was studying for this, uh, somebody I was reading up on this verse mentioned another verse. And I don't have it on the screen, but you can write it down as a reference. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, it says this. I'll read it to you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Okay, that's a command, right? We're commanded to seek God. They were seeking Jesus. And so you're like, nailed it. They are seeking him. But in this verse, there's a semicolon after that command. And anytime you see a semicolon, right, the, what comes after it is uh, not a complete sentence because it's dependent upon the clause before it, right? And so... The point is, is what's about to come next is giving some explanation and some underpinning to what was just said. So Isaiah is the same way. So let me say it to you like this. Seek the Lord while he be, may be found. Semicolon. Here's your answer into how to seek him. Let me tell you how. Isaiah tells you. Watch this. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So how do I seek God? Watch this. I seek 
God by forsaking my ways and abandoning my thoughts. Did you see that? So let me say it to you like this. I can't seek God if I'm still seeking my own way. I can't seek God if I'm not abandoning my unrighteous thoughts. So how I seek God is, and this is simply repentance. If here's God, if I'm going to seek him, if I'm going to go that direction, I'm leaving behind something. That's what repentance is. So repentance is simply this. I wasn't seeking God. I was seeking my ways, my thoughts. Grace comes into my life. I'm born again into the new family of Jesus. Now I'm seeking Jesus. But in order to seek Jesus, I have to leave what I was seeking prior. And where most of us make our mistakes, it was to say, no, 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 no. I can stay right here. I can hang right here. I mean, after all, doesn't God love me? Isn't the grace of God what covers my sin? Yes and amen. But grace covers, it never gives permission though. So you with me? They failed to see Jesus because they weren't willing to abandon their old ways and old thoughts. So they weren't really seeking Jesus, the person of Jesus. And that's where Jesus is about to hit them right between the eyes. So let's look at verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. That's another way of saying, I tell you the truth. Notice he didn't say my truth, a truth, the truth. I tell you the truth. You are seeking me. Now watch this. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So remember context. They're physically seeking Jesus. Walking, where's Jesus? Did he get in that boat? No, he didn't get in that. Is he in that boat? No, he's not in that boat. Is he up there? No, he's not over there. Tiberius, is he over there? No, he's not over there. So they're going every which way, except for the one way that they need to go. And what is the one way? Work for something different. Work for something different. See, here's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to stay over there and for them, stay over here. Watch. They were surprised that Jesus was on the other side. It amazes me how many people are surprised that Jesus is on the other side of their thought process. It amazes me how many people are shocked that Jesus is on the other side of their behaviors. So they, Jesus, you're, you're cool there. We ain't got no problem with you, Jesus. As long as you keep feeling us. Jesus, right here, baby. You just, that's a skill right there. That's a skill. Feed me, Seymour. 
Just keep, watch this, just keep giving me the grace to do what I want to do. See, that's what they were asking. Just keep giving me the food. I don't want the truth. I don't want you telling me that what I'm doing is worthless. And make no mistake, that's what Jesus said. He said, don't work for the food that perishes. Let me give you the definition of perishes. Becomes ruined, useless, or destroyed. Let me ask you a question. Is what you're working for going to last for an eternity? I'm not talking about your nine-to-five job. I'm not trying to guilt anybody like you need to go quit working for McDonald's. Working for McDonald's can be an honoring thing to the Lord. I started out at Subway, baby. Been downhill ever since. Got fired from Kmart. It was real downhill from there. I'm not talking about the work that we're doing has to be just church work. That's not my point. My point is, though, is the work of your life, is it producing eternal fruit? Or is it producing ruined fruit, useless fruit, worthless fruit? That's what I'm saying. And that's what they were doing. And Jesus says, there's another work, a work that doesn't perish, that endures. Now, look at their response. Jesus says, for on him, God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? If there's something that God wants us to do, tell us and we'll do it. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe in him who has sent. And this is where the gospel is paradoxical. The work that God wants us to do is no work at all. Now watch this. We are saved by works, but not our works, but by Jesus' works. So I'm saved by his works. So the work that I need to do is rest in his work. And we call that faith. So we're saved, us by having faith, but through the work of Christ. So here's the work that God wants us to do. Rest in his work. But think about that. That right there might be the hardest thing for a human to do. Let's go back to the storm concept. When you're facing a crisis or a storm in your life, do you like sitting around and praying? Do you like doing that? Does that come natural to you? Listen, I know this is church, but don't lie. No, it doesn't come natural for me either. And I get paid to be holy. I say this all the time. I get paid to pray. I've been experiencing a little bit of a crisis in my own family this week. Family member has COVID. And the first thing I want to do is go punch something. In fact, this morning I did my workout routine just to make me feel better. I got to do something. 
I can't just sit around and trust God to handle this. I got to call somebody. I got to do something. I got to get busy. I'm not saying that there's not things we should do, but, but my point is this. What I'm getting at is when you face a crisis, is our first response to rest, knowing that God is in control, or work trying to earn his grace on our behalf. That response right there will determine whether or not more than anything you're a Christian. Not if you walk the aisle or sign the card. Can you rest in God? That's your work. So if I gave you a to-do list this week, it would be don't do anything. Wouldn't you rather me almost get, wouldn't you rather God just give you like a massive to-do list? Especially you type A types. I'm like type AB. I don't really know. Sometimes I'm A, sometimes I'm B. Sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I guess that's Z. I don't know. But what I know, and Lindsay and I went to a pastoral retreat years ago, and based on my personality type, what they told me is when I'm under stress, watch this, I start obsessing over details. Why? Because the devil's in the details. I'm not trying to get the devil out through doing all the details, right? Well, can I get the devil out? Nope. Can I fight? Nope. Can I control this? Nope. See, the work of God is rest. Rest. See, they were walking all over the place looking for Jesus. And Jesus is like, I'm right here. The question is, will you listen to me? So on Matthew 11, have you ever read Matthew 11? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? You ever read that and thought he lied? You ever thought that? Again, it's church, I know. You can say it. Yeah, I felt that way. Grace, I heard somebody say this. Grace is getting maximum effect with minimum energy. Maximum results without over-revving my life. So let me say it to you like this. One of the greatest signs to us that should be a red light to us on our dashboard that we're not seeking Jesus is we're busy. We're missing Jesus because we're hurried. We're running from place to place to place, and God's saying, will you come and rest with me for a minute? And we're like, God, I ain't got time for that. I don't know if you know this. I'm seeking you, Jesus. (laughs) My pastor told me I got to read my Bible 25 minutes a day. Yeah, you should read your Bible. Yeah, you should pray. Yes, you should serve. Again, I'm not saying we do nothing, but here's what I am saying. 
but we do everything out of the place of doing nothing. We do everything from the place of rest. We rest so we can work, not work trying to get rest. Two very different things. Jesus says, this is the work that you believe in him whom was sent. Now they go on, look at verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What are they asking for? Works. Now, these are the same cats who just saw him the day before. Feed 5,000 people with two fishes and five loaves. And they have the audacity to say, whoa, I don't know, Jesus. Let me just give you an example. Are you going to do anything to make the sun come up tomorrow? Nope. But you're going to wake up tomorrow and be like, give me a sign, God. By what sign should I believe you? Oh, you're breathing? There's the sun. There's the earth. There's the air. There's your lungs. Everything about your life. We have the audacity sometimes to ask God for a sign. All right, let's get back. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, here's what's ridiculous about their question. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Did they really just quote the fact that their ancestors got bread? What did they just get? Come on. Bread. bread. They just got bread the day before. Now watch this. How many times have you questioned God's faithfulness today because you forgot his faithfulness of yesterday? God, are you going to do it again today? And God says, I did it yesterday, didn't I? They have the audacity to bring up God feeding people a thousand years before this. <laughs> and again, this is why I, you, you, you should be glad I was not Jesus. And I am not Jesus. One of the reasons why we say get the right five letters is because you don't want Jason as Jesus. Jason would be killing folks. Be slapping folks upside the head. But Jesus... I mean, Jesus has got to be sitting here saying, you're really going to bring up that my father fed y'all a thousand years ago and you're going to miss that I fed you yesterday? You know, one of the best, I learned this in psychology, one of the best predictors of someone's future actions is their past actions. This is why most people, when they say they're going to change, don't believe them, watch this, until their past actions become what they say their future actions will be. Because if, if I, for 10 years, lied to you, but today I'm gonna, I say, I'm going to tell you the truth. Well, I won't believe you until we're in tomorrow and you told me the truth yesterday. You with me? That's the best way to know 
what someone's future actions will be. Look at their past ones. Because past faithfulness, as Pastor David has said, demands present trust. So it amazes me that they bring up that the forefathers were fed by God. Jesus is like, I know. Look at what he says. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, tell you the truth. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's like, I know. My father gave it to you. It wasn't Moses. It was God. And he's making a statement here, and this is huge. There's a thing in the Bible that's called typology. In fact, we did a series years ago called Shadows. And the idea of it is this. Things in the Old Testament were types or shadows of what was coming in the New Testament. The best way to think about this is foreshadowing. You know that word. When something is foreshadowed, it's saying it's coming. But what you have in the Old Testament is you have the type. So you had bread. And then in the New Testament, you have the true form, Christ. And Jesus is saying, I know God gave you bread that came down from heaven, but there's another bread that also came down from heaven. And that's the one that you're missing. Look at what he says next. You say, where do you get that, pastor? Keep reading. Verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Um, do not listen to anyone who claims to be a serious student of the Bible and says something like, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Make no mistake about what he just said. He just claimed it. Did you notice the two words when he says, I, what, am? Now, don't miss this. They brought up Moses. Now, Moses was on the backside of a mountain, and there's a bush that was burning, and Moses walks up to it, and from the bush, someone starts talking to him, and Moses is like, who are you? What does the person say his name is? I am. Which, in case you didn't know this, in Hebrew, is Yahweh. It's God's name. You say, what's God's name? I am. That's his name. And so Jesus, in fact, Jesus does it, watch this, seven times. You want to know what the number of perfection is in the Bible? Seven. So when he claims seven I am's, He's claiming to be the perfect God. He is God. And what he's saying to them is, see, your whole problem is you are seeking me, watch this, for bread instead of seeking me as bread. You were seeking me for bread. What I could give you instead of seeking me as the bread. 
And that's why most of us miss Jesus. Because we seek Jesus for what he can do for our bellies and our billfolds and our bougie houses. I was trying to think of another B. Big houses, there we go. Instead of seeking him as the bread. See, God is the gospel. What I mean by that is this. The good that's at the end of the good news is God. And I've said this to you before, and every time I say it, people will respond back to me because they misunderstand what I'm saying, but I'm going to say it to you, then I'm going to explain what I'm saying, so none of y'all got to email me, right? Jesus didn't die to get you to a place. I used to say it like this. Jesus didn't die to get you to heaven. And everybody's like, whoa, what, 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 what? Yeah, he didn't. He didn't die to get you to a place. Now, is heaven a place? Yes. Is it real? Yes. Right now, it's separated from earth. One day, it will be back together again. Jesus died to get you to a person. Not to a place. But think about it. How do, watch this, how do most believers in the South describe heaven as a place? Now, is grandma there? If she trusted Jesus, yes. But I hear way too many people talking about how they're excited to see grandma and not God. And if you're more excited about seeing grandma than God, you may not see either. Now, my grandmama is there. I'd love to see her again. But it pales in comparison to the day that I can see God face to face. See, God is the gospel. We're almost done. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Notice the wording. He came from a place, but to do the will of a person. And what is that will? That everybody that God gives him, he won't lose them. Now, there's huge theological ramifications about this that I just don't have time to get into, but what he's talking about is predestination, and free will. Now, I've done sermon series on this before. In fact, you can go back to the Romans series. I talk a lot about it. Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. But let me just say a side note here. People are like, well, is it God's choice or my choice? Yes. Here's the biblical concept. If you chose God, it's because he chose you. If you did not choose God, it's because you did not choose him. It's too big for our understanding. But Jesus, watch what he, the words he says. Father gives them, whoever comes. Which one is it? Yes. Let's move on, verse 39 and 40. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for he says it again, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Church, if that's your God, it's okay to yell. If that's your God, and he is gonna raise you up if you're in him, why do you freak out over presidential elections? Why do you freak out? You want to know why? Because so often we're discipled more by the world than we are the word. If he's going to raise me up, I'm okay when I die. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed right now. Because I'm looking to the sun. And if I'm looking to the sun, what can man do to me? How could Jesus hang on the cross? Because he knew that even though he chose to be nailed to the cross, he would choose to walk out of the tomb. The cross didn't hold him. He held himself there. And the tomb couldn't hold him because he walked himself out. So if that's true, and watch this, and you're satisfied in him, you're coming to him as the bread, not for the bread, but you're coming to him as the thing that you want, as the good at the end, then it'll be all good for you in the end. If you come to him as the good, it's gonna be good. But this is where I used to want to be a missionary to unreached places. And then for whatever reason, God sent me to the south. And I was like, God, why'd you do that? He said, oh, because there's so many lost people in the south. The problem is they just don't know it. Because they're circling me. They're seeking me. But they're only seeking me when they're in a storm. And then they leave. They're only seeking me when they're hungry. And then they go. They're only circling me when they're thirsty. And then they, they don't want me. So I'm still a missionary. I just feel like God sent me to the south as a missionary. Because there's a lot of people that are seeking Jesus that need to get saved. because they're not seeking the biblical Jesus. Let me leave you with this. It's a quote from one of my heroes, John Piper. He says it like this. Saving faith is being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. Notice the words. Saving faith is being satisfied. Another one that he says that I've used here often is God is most glorified in us when we are most 
satisfied in him. See, there's a lot of people that find Jesus boring. They don't find Jesus beautiful. They find Jesus necessary at times, but they don't find him needing life in him. They want bread from him. They don't want him as bread. They want to call him teacher, but they don't want to obey what he says. And all I'm saying to you is, I just want to make sure that you're not inoculated to that Jesus. Because if you are, then you may not have saving faith. I'm not trying to make anybody question their faith. But you say, well, how do I know I'm satisfied in him? You'll reach a point to where staying stuck is no longer an option. You'll reach a point where you're like, I am sick and tired of where I am. And I am ready and willing to leave my ways and my thoughts behind. No, like a dog returns to your vomit, you may go back to that, but then the Holy Spirit will get you. No, I'm, I want him. I want him. Because I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And everything else is not as sweet as the satisfaction that I have in Jesus. That's how you know. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us. We who grow up in a culture where Jesus is everywhere but nowhere, where we hear about Jesus but we don't follow him. God, I pray for us that we would come to a place of understanding that nothing and no one else can satisfy and will seek Jesus. Not for bread, but as bread. Not trying to get to a place, but getting back to you as a person. And God, I know right now that there are people listening or gathered with us online that maybe for the first time they heard a message and their heart was pierced by your spirit and they realized there's never come a point in time in their life where they've had saving faith, where they came to Jesus for Jesus. Not to fix something, but to fix themselves. God, I pray you'd save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if you want to trust Jesus, come to Jesus and get God. If you'll confess that your ways and your thoughts are sinful, and by grace be saved and walk 
in obedience, you'll be saved. So if you want to do that, you can pray with me. It doesn't have to be out loud. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me. Make me satisfied in Jesus as the bread. Thank you for loving me. Nobody looking around or talking again, as always, if you're in one of our in-person locations and you just prayed to trust Jesus, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We've got men and women going to walk around and put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who would say, yes, I've trusted in Jesus, I want to say this very clearly. You don't need to get saved again. It's like trying to be born again. You're born. You're a child. But what you do need to do is confess and repent, which means again, confess that your ways are unholy, that your thoughts are unrighteous, and go after Jesus and ask God to help you be satisfied in all that Jesus is for you. Ask that you be so full in Jesus that you wouldn't even dream of taking a bite out of the world. Father, I pray that you would grant this because Jesus told us you would always grant this request for us to be filled by the Spirit, be satisfied in the Son. So God, would you help us as a church live out our mission to love Jesus? It's what we want. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Love you, church.